All right, well, if you want, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you're visiting with us, and some of you are, we are on a, uh, I guess it's week four of a teaching series called Look Up, Worship in the Real World. And we've been talking about how important it is to give God the first of our attention and the best of our affection, but we've been really honest about how hard it is to do that in the world that we live in. And the Apostle Paul tells us why that is in the second letter that he wrote to the Corinthians in in chapter 4, verse 4, I think. He says that Satan is the God of this world and that he does everything he can to try to keep people from coming to God. And most of the letters that Paul wrote At some point, he tells us that there's a system of existing. There's a way of living. There is a a way of doing things. And one one letter, he calls it the course of this world. Another letter, he calls it the the pattern of this world. And another letter that he writes, he calls it the uh, system or the, the principles, rather, of this world. And so these principles that he's talking about are set up by the God of this world for, y'all listening, for the purpose of leading people Astray, And if you turn into your Bibles to, you don't have to, but if you turn to Revelation 12, verse 9, it talks about how Satan, the devil, is the one who literally, his, his MO, his job is to lead people astray. In fact, if you turn there, it might, your version might say that his job is to deceive the whole world. That word actually for deceive, actually, or astray, lead astray, actually means to lead someone off the path. Everybody say the path. It can also mean, and and most of the time does mean, to make someone fall. So you think about what Jesus said in Matthew 18 when he says, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. Now I want you to think about what Jesus said. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. He has in mind a person that is in motion, that is headed somewhere, because you don't trip someone that's standing still, right? You trip someone that's in motion. Isn't that right? And so the implication is that someone is walking towards a particular destination and something is put in their path that causes them to fall. How many of you remember that goofy guy in junior high that was always tripping people in the hall? How many of you remember the guy? And some of you are like, I don't want to talk about it because I was that guy. (laughs) You know, the one that would come up behind you while you have all your books ready to get to class, you're focused because you're so ready to learn. And he would come up behind you and he would knock your back foot right behind your front foot and all you can do is fall flat on your face because you weren't ready for it, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, that idea is kind of what, like, is what Jesus is talking about here. He says, woe to the world. He says, what sorrow awaits Satan and his system for constantly sticking his leg out, tripping people up, trying to keep us from our destination. Everybody say destination. It's going to be an important word tonight, destination. Something else that we've been talking about in this series, and and I encourage you to go back and listen to it all if you can, because I think you'll be encouraged, is we've talked about the fullness of life. Almost every week I've mentioned the fullness of life. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I, I talked about how Jesus flat out tells us that there's two wills for your life. John 10, 10 says that the thief comes only to still kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life. And so the two wills for your life are God's will, that you would be full, and Satan's will, how many of you remember, for you to be 
empty because that's the opposite of full, right? Satan wants the exact opposite of what God wants for you. And I think I told you that week that God wants us to live a full life inside of an empty world. And guys, why would we want anything less than that? I mean, let's just stop for a second and think. Why would we want anything less than everything God has for us? I wonder how many of us are settling for half a glass when we could be overflowing. More people probably than than we would even like to admit. Paul was praying for the Ephesians in chapter three, verse 19. He says, I pray that you would be filled, filled, sorry, he's texting, filled to the, filled to the measure of the fullness, but listen to what he says, to the fullness of the fullness of God. Measure to the fullness of God that you would be filled But, and I want you to write this down. This is the takeaway tonight. Write this down. This is the whole sermon in one sentence. He says, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. But listen to me. The fullness of God, the fullness of life is only found. Some of you have this funny smile on your face. You're all like, what is he going to say? The fullness of life is only found. And it's on the screen, so you can go ahead and read it. In the presence of God. This is huge. The fullness of life. And we talk, the vision statement of this church is choosing the way, uh, choosing the way, knowing the truth, and living the life. The vision of this church is to help people live the life of Jesus Christ. To live a life worthy of the, of the calling that we've received in Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever heard me say that? But did you know that that is not even possible without the presence of God, because the fullness of life is only found in the presence of God. Turn really quick, Psalm 16, verse 11. I want you to turn there, because I want you to mark it. I want you to ponder it. I want you to meditate on it at some point this week. It says, you will show me the path of life. Everybody say, the path of life. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. The path of life is a reference to the fullness of life. In fact, the fullness of joy is literally saying the fullness of of life. I, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now let me ask you, did you notice what the destination is? Can anybody tell me what the destination is in this verse? Are you guys with me? Are you listening? Look at it. It's up there. What's the destination? Somebody tell me the destination. The place that we're trying to get to. Nope. The presence of God. You guys see that? See, a lot of Christians are trying to make life to the full their destination. But if you make life to the full your destination, then you're going to find yourself empty because you're going to confuse happiness with fullness. And life is not always happy. Isn't that right? But life can always be full because joy is greater than happiness. And the fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. It's uh, the full life. A full life is not your de- uh, destination. If anything, a full life is your consolation. Anybody know what consolation means? Consolation is the comfort received by someone after a loss or disappointment. Did you hear that? Consolation is the comfort received after the loss or disappointment. And I'm thinking, the world is disappointing. <laughs> and the world gets more and more disappointing 
every day. But that's okay. That's all right. It's fine because this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Anybody remember that old hymn? You guys remember that? Nobody remembers that old hymn. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Listen to me, church. And I get that this sounds so churchy. (laughs) But if you look to the world for directions to your destination, you are going to be disappointed. Go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. That's where we're going to be at. 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is an exciting time for David and the nation of Israel. If you were here last week, you know that David has just come out of a pretty difficult time, a pretty low season, a dark season. He lost his way for a little bit. I encourage you to go back and listen because you personally will be encouraged by that message. If you read 2 Samuel chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, you're going to find out that David finally becomes king. Okay? Um, Israel is no longer under the rule of the tyrannical Saul. Saul was crazy. He lost his way big time and never found it back. Uh, he died in the world that, war that David almost fought in, but God spared him and gave him a way of escape. You'll remember that from last week. So they're free of Saul, but they're also free from the Philistines. They are finally uh, out from under the oppression of the Philistines for the most part because David has been kicking tail and taking names. Okay, so this is a very good time of David's life. Life is good for David. In fact, life is happy for the whole nation of Israel. But apparently, life is not full. Look at verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, some 30,000. But listen, this time it wasn't for war. This time he gathers the men not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He was pursuing something. He was on a journey. He was headed for something very particular, a particular destination he had in mind. Look at verse 2. David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name. How many of your Bibles, the name right there is capitalized? Love that. Called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. Now, most of us are going to know this, if not from the biblical account, you're at least going to know this from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones account, okay? The presence of God, or the Ark of, the ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, is literally represented to be, means to be the immediate presence of God. The power of God, the glory of God, the authority of God, and not even just a representation. At that time, it was the immediate presence of God. Most of us know that because we've seen the grotesque stuff. But I want you to think about this on that movie, not in the Bible. Well, in the Bible too, some. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about David, who's pursuing the Ark of the Covenant, who's pursuing the presence of God. This is the man who grew up as a boy in the field with his sheep playing his harp. Every day he's writing songs. He's, uh, well, writing the Psalms. He's a worshiper all through. Now he's the king. He's gotten everything that was promised to him. Life is good. He's happy. Happy as a lark. But it still wasn't enough. And he knew that it was in God's presence that he would find the fullness of joy, that it was at God's right hand 
that you find pleasures forevermore. So David's destination, what David was headed towards, what he wanted, what he, the place he wanted to be was in God's presence. Think about this. The first, and you have to read this to get it. You have to go back and read it. But his first royal act as king, we know he went to war and did some things, but his first royal act as king was to bring the ark of God out of obscurity and back to a place of prominence for the people of Israel. He, he wanted the cups of every Israelite to be overflowing. It's a good king, right? That's what he wanted. Let's go get the ark of God because he knew that fullness for him, for the people of Israel, is only found in God's presence. And listen to me real carefully in, in case you miss the details of everything else I'm gonna say tonight. God wants you I know a lot of you and some of you I don't know, but I can assure you this, according to God's word, God wants you to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And the only way to do that is to bring God out of obscurity in your life, to put God in the place of prominence in your life, to put him in the forefront of your life, to pursue his presence. Some of you may not even know what that looks like or what it means, but that's okay because tonight you're learning that the fullness is only found in his presence. And you've got to head to his presence if you want any semblance of fullness in your life. It's clear as a bell. Psalm 16. And you may be in a place where you haven't experienced even half of what God has for you. But I'm telling you, according to his word, the very prayer that that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church is that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what he wants for you. So my encouragement for you is to pursue the presence of God. But listen to me. You can expect the enemy to put stumbling blocks in your way on your journey to God's destination. Doesn't that just make sense? If that's what, he, that's what his MO is, if that's what his job description is, to lead the world astray, to cause them to fall, because he doesn't want any of us to make it very far down the, everybody say it, path of life. He doesn't want it. So I want to give you real quick four potential stumbling blocks when pursuing God's presence. You can write those down. Four potential stumbling blocks when pursuing God's presence. And they're all right here in this chapter. And there's obviously, there's all kinds of stumbling blocks that the enemy uses. But I'm going to show you four in particular, that David and the people of Israel had to deal with. And you can just write this first one down, ignorance. Write that down, ignorance, ignorance. It says in verse three that they placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it to the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. By the way, when we were in Israel, uh, how many of you remember the Singermans that were here a few weeks ago from Israel? When we stayed with them at Jerusalem Hills, their, their little uh, inn was literally on the hill where this took place. In fact, you can stand outside in their courtyard and they said, look up there. You see that? And there's a little monument up the top of the hill. And we meant to walk up there and we forgot. Up at the top of that hill, he said, you know what that is? And this is when he was trying to tell us what, I was like, what is that? He said, that's the house of Abinadab or that's where the house of Abinadab was. And he said, we quite possibly are standing where this in 2 Samuel 6 took place. Isn't that cool? Now this is one of my favorite stories. So I was like, woo, 
dancing. All right. I didn't really dance because that would have been embarrassing. Somewhat like that. (laughs) Anyway. So write this down. Ignorance. They put the ark on a new cart. A little bit of a backstory here. Uh, About 70 years earlier, the Philistines came and they captured the ark from the Israelites, okay? Now they brought it to their camp and crazy stuff started happening. Why? Because it's the immediate presence of God. God didn't want his presence to be stewarded by a bunch of pagans, did he? So crazy stuff starts happening and they're freaking out and they're going, we gotta get this thing out of here. Take it back to the Israelites. And so consequently, it, 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 stu- it stood at uh, Abinadab's house for about 70 years. I mean, a long time, okay? And so David decides he wants to go get it back. We just read that, Okay. He puts it on a new cart. What that means is the way the Philistines carried it about, and I guess it had been on that cart for a long time. The Philistines had carried that thing around on a cart. David said, well, we're not going to use that Philistine cart. Let's build a new cart. Well, what he didn't know, and and I thought about this, David David wasn't 70 years old. So the Ark of the Covenant had not been around the Israelites for a long time. Okay, for a long time. So maybe he didn't know. But what he didn't know was you were not supposed to put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. It was supposed to be carried. Not only was it supposed to be carried, it was supposed to be carried by the Levites of the family of Koath. In Numbers 4, verse 15, talks about that. And so what they were doing literally went against the way God said to carry his presence. (laughs) If you think about it, this is a stewardship issue. Okay? Ignorance. David did not know, David did not think about, David did not go and look. And I thought about how he got his cues on how to carry the presence of God from the Philistines. Last week we talked about how the Philistines are a type or a picture of the world. How many of us are taking our cues from the world? How many of us are taking our cues from the world? The temptation is to look at the world and do, the way, do things the way that they do it because they have all the answers, right? They let us know they're the ones that have all the answers. Do this, do that, because it's the, it's the way to success. It's the way to happiness. It's the way to whatever. We're not talking about happiness. We're talking about fullness, right? And when you look to the world, you're not going to go very far in fullness. Paul said the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. In another place, he said, and you don't walk anymore like those fools, someone who was lost. He said, those people that are futile in their thinking, being darkened in their understanding. This is crazy. He says, excluded from the life of God. That's a reference to fullness because of their ignorance that is in them. Ignorance just means a lack of knowledge. David did not have the knowledge. You think, well, I mean, give him a break. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He is king. And as such, it is his responsibility to know what's going on as it relates to worship, the priesthood, um, all of that stuff. It's certainly if he's going to go bring the, the ark in. Are you guys with me? This is a big deal. But he didn't. I thought about how God wants us to not do like David did, take our cues from the world, but to look above and beyond over what the world's doing, to look up. That's the, that's the title of this series. To look up beyond the philosophies, beyond the methodologies, and do the things do things the way that he wants us to do them. Again, I told you this sounds awfully churchy. How many of you have heard a message like this before? I've preached a message like this before. But it's very important because we continue to take our cues in so many different areas from the world. If you, you can write this down. You have to turn there. But there's a place in, 
Ezekiel 33 that says, how then shall we live? How many of you have read that book, How Then Shall We Live? How then shall we live? What does the word say? You won't know until you seek him and seek his word. And David didn't do that. First thing is ignorance. The second thing is, the second stumbling block, potential stumbling block, is irreverence. And we're going to dive into this a little bit more. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, so they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, talking about the cart. They brought the cart with the ark of God on it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio, one of the brothers, was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David, listen to this. Everybody say meanwhile. Meanwhile Meanwhile is a very important word here. (laughs) Meanwhile, all the while, while all this is going on, while all this, essentially all this disobedience is going on, (laughs) all this poor stewardship of God's presence is going on. David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres and harps and electric guitars and bass and drums and even clarinets. Oh, that's castanets, sorry. And cymbals. Do you guys see that? In the midst of this massive form of disobedience, the people were going nuts. It was a party. In fact, I got to show you. I've got to show you this word. Celebrate. They were celebrating before. Celebrating, that word literally means to laugh, play, mock, amuse. The word before is actually the word that you see all over the Old Testament. It's the word that they would use in other places for presence. It's the word panim. It, means pre- it actually means face, but it's the word that they would say when describing um, being in the presence of the Lord. You're being face to face with God. So essentially what you could see that, or you could see that they're doing is meanwhile they are mocking God to his face. Do you guys see that? That's what it says. That's the wording right there. They were celebrating before the Lord. That sounds nice until you see that they were actually mocking. It's like they were not even considered. If you know what the definition of reverence is? To stand in awe or to fear. So irreverence would be the lack of awe, the lack of fear. Isn't that right? There's a place in Jeremiah where God was speaking to the people of Israel and he says to them, tell the people, do you not fear me? Declares the Lord. Do you not tremble in my presence? Now I want you to think about this. It was was irreverence for them not to seek, for him not to seek the Lord about how to carry the ark. We know that, but you gotta, you gotta get this because this is, this is important. Because it was irreverent the way that they didn't seek the Lord about how to carry the ark, the way that David and the people of Israel enjoyed expressing their worship to God became irreverent. It wasn't the dancing and the music that was irreverent, right? Please tell me no. Because I... Right? We like to dance, we like to raise our hand. It wasn't that that made it irreverent. It was the fact that they did not have any consideration about how they were to steward, carry the presence of God. And in that moment, meanwhile, God was going. How do we know that's the case? Let's look at the next one. By the way, I want you to write something down. We profane God's presence when we seek first our practices and our preferences. We profane God's presence. In other words, we don't respect his presence. We make it an unholy place when we choose first what we like to do and the way we like to do it. 
Because the honest to God truth is it doesn't matter what we do as long as we are doing it the way God wants us to do it. We could be in here and we could have, our worship could be someone standing in the middle of the room, la-di-da-di-da-di-da. The world's not my home. I'm just passing through. And if God's in it, it's good. Right? Or we could have the band rocking out, but have totally missed that God, what God wanted us to do is have someone singing in the middle of the room, God's not my home, or whatever, you know, the world's not my home. And everybody ecstatic and jumping around, acting crazy, and God not approve of it. Isn't it a strange thing? So what's the most important thing when considering coming into the presence of God? How do I approach him? How do I steward his presence? What do I do? How do I act? Am I in awe of him? Or am I actually more in awe of my practices and my preferences? Ignorance, irrelevance. The third one is this, self-confidence. And this is how we know that God's not happy about what's going on. Verse six. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, it says Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah and God struck him down there for his what? For his irreverence. And he died there because of the ark of God. Now his irreverence, so you got David's irreverence, the people's irreverence, consequently because of David's irreverence. And then you have Uzzah's irreverence. Something that he probably should have known, maybe he didn't, is that you weren't supposed to touch the articles in the holy place, in the holy of holies, any of the articles. Nothing. You weren't supposed to physically touch them. There was a way that you carry them. You're not supposed to touch them. And what happened is he said they were coming down to the threshing floor, which is where they thought the, that maybe they were, where the hotel, the inn was. I think we might be standing on the threshing floor, the place where Uzzah stretched out his hand and tried to steady the ark. The ark was going to be falling. I personally think it's because the oxen, oxen saw that there was a little bit of grain left on the ground. They're like, I want some of that grain. And so they start, you know, and the ark starts toppling. So Uzzah is standing there. And he sees it's falling and he steps out to catch it, to keep it from falling. The thing is, is it sounds noble. He's just trying to help. And I think God understands that. But he had already said back in Numbers, you can't touch the ark because if you do, you'll die. God said it. Isn't that what he said? And so it wasn't about what Uzzah was doing, what his heart was. It's all my heart was, I just wanted to help. Listen, God said, it's you got to do this. But that's not even the big picture. Do you know what, do you know what Uzzah's name means? This is, a, this is the stumbling block, I think, for us. Uzzah's name means strength. And a lot of times in that culture, someone's name had something to do with their makeup, the way they were wired, or something specific about them. You guys know what I mean? We've talked about that before. Could it be that in that moment... The ark is going to fall. I mean, come on. God couldn't say, whoa, arky. You know what I mean? God could have done that. Could it be that in that moment, Uzzah stepped out. <laughs> I got this. You like crunk? Y'all remember crunk? Yeah, weird. You know. <laughs> his name means strength. Could it be that in that moment, his self-confidence became a stumbling block? His pride, his ego, who he was, his gift our gifts can get us in trouble, people. Isn't that right? How many, of you've, how many of your gifts, spiritual gifts, have got you in trouble before? <laughs> yeah. It's about considering. It's about reverence. 
Worship is about him. It's not about us. It's not about our confidence. It's not about our gift. It's not about our anything. It's about him. You could even write that down. Worship is not about us. It's about him. And God was teaching them this in the moment. Self-confidence. Uzzah means strength. Our strengths were given by God, (laughs) for God, and can never take the place of his word or his power. God said it. And by the way, Uzzah, God can stable the ark if he needs to. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm just making stuff up. The fourth one is this, indifference. Indifference can be a major stumbling block in your pursuit of the presence of the Lord. Granted, you may not even pursue the presence of the Lord if you're indifferent. (laughs) But how many people come to church and they're coming to church looking for the presence of the Lord, but they're indifferent? I thought about Ohio's place in this story. Did y'all notice what it said? Verse four, so they brought it up with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And why even bring this up? And Ohio was walking ahead of the ark. And then you go on down and Uzzah's the one messing up and getting killed. But I thought about Ohio. What was his deal? First of all, why was he up in front of the ark? I mean, it could have been good things. Maybe I'm speculating here, so take this with a grain of salt. But could it be that he's like, whatever, whatever. Why wasn't he back there helping with the ark, with his brother? Why wasn't he doing that with him? Because here's the deal. Do you know what Ohio's name means? Brotherly. It means brotherly. And so for the sake of the lesson, think about how someone whose name means brotherly was not being very brotherly. Here is the presence of God coming down, and he's not even, I mean, if it were me, I guess, again, there's lots of conjecture here, but if it were me, I'd be, I'd be like, whoa, look at that ark. I'd be walking beside it. I'd even be tempted to touch it, you know what I mean? But he's out in front of this thing, and, and I thought about how sometimes when, in, when you're walking and, and you're in la-la land maybe even, you're walking with people, sometimes we go into the zoo and and we're all looking around, but then you find yourself in la-la land, and pretty soon I'm like 30 yards ahead of my family. I'm like, oh, we got to stop. Where'd they go? You know what I mean? In la-la land. Maybe Ohio was in la-la land, not really considering the gravity of the situation. Maybe. But if nothing else, if he had been right there, or even just walking backwards looking at the ark. Look at the ark, people. <laughs> this is nice. It's okay that he was ahead of it, I guess. But if nothing else... Someone whose name means brotherly. Is it possible that he could have said, no, Uzzah, don't! And kept Uzzah from making the mistake. My point is with this is that we can be indifferent to God. That happens all the time. But I think the number one stumbling block is how indifferent we are in the body of Christ to other people. One of the biggest failures in the church to this day I think, is the lack of brotherliness, the lack of accountability, the lack of willingness to walk with people, to make sure that they're not operating in the flesh, being willing to call them down when they do try to stretch their hands out against the presence of the Lord or to steward poorly or to not discern or not understand what's going on. You guys hear what I'm saying? I want you to think about all the times in Scripture, and I'm almost done, but all the times in Scripture where it talks about two or more. Two people, two people involved in something. We know the the famous verse, right? When two 
or more gathered in my presence, I will be with them. I will be in their midst, right? Think about Cain and Abel. Two of them together. One of them killed the other one. That's not very brotherly, is it? (laughs) Think about Nadab and Abihu. Y'all may not know that story, but the story of the strange fire. They were doing things in the holy place that they weren't to. They were burning a strange fire on the altar of incense. I mean, surely one out of the two should have said, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And if you read the story, a fire comes out of the Holy of Holies and consumes them. Think about Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli that were sleeping with the, people, with the women at the door of um, the temple. I mean, come on. One of them wasn't like, you know, I remember what dad said about doing this kind of stuff and we shouldn't be doing it. One of them couldn't be brotherly and keep them both from getting killed because they both died. Think about Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament in Acts. Remember they, they lied? One of them couldn't say, you know, I think we should just tell them the truth. I mean, it's our money. We can do with it whatever we want. Just tell them we didn't give the whole thing. No, no, no. I mean, right? Brotherly. Think about the, well, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Jesus sent out people two by two. There are two men standing in the field, two women grinding grain, two soldiers guarded the tomb. Right? I mean, the two's everywhere. Why? Because God's desire is for us to walk in brotherliness, to be brotherly to each other. You gotta stand with me. I'm gonna have the, um, the team come up and I want us to end on a song. But before we do, I just want us to, just to think about what would the Holy, be, Holy Spirit be speaking to you out of this sermon, out of this message? Think about what we're talking about, the presence of the Lord. We're talking about worship, trying to get this done in the real world. The truth is the enemy is trying to cause us to stumble. It's difficult. It's not easy. We want fullness in our life, but we know the only place to, the only way we're going to get that is being in the presence of the Lord. And we know that there's these things that trip us up on our journey to that. So of these four, and you can go ahead and close your eyes just, and just kind of think, of, think about this, ponder this. Where are you at in your reverence? Are you walking in the fear of the Lord? Are you walking in the um, in awe of who he is? Are you considering everything that he is, all that he promises, all that his word says? Because if you are, you're not going to be ignorant because you'll be seeking the knowledge that you need to be in the presence of the Lord. Are you somebody that consistently walks in self-confidence? Someone that, that relies on your own strength to get things done rather than trusting the Lord can take care of stuff? But maybe worst of all, are you someone that's indifferent? Are you someone that just doesn't really think about much of this at all? Because the truth is, the truth is, is there's not going to be much more, maybe at best, a half glass full life in Jesus and what he came to bring us is a full life.